Well, let's start with prayer. Father, we praise You because Your Word does abide forever. And so we want now to give our attention to that Word that is eternal so that we might uh, be less enticed to give our attention to other things that are only temporary. And so we pray that You will be glorified through this time and that we would be um, made more aware of who you are and what you've done for us, and that we might uh, respond to you in love because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. <coughs> Isaiah chapter 40. I think, if I remember right, it's like page 508. I didn't write it down. Isaiah 40, page 508. Ryan is nodding his head. That's a good sign. And I, always, I also mentioned that uh, rather than a, a bulletin like we typically have, um, you have some half sheets of paper there if you're the note-taking type. Today's, uh, yes, Maddie. Maddie's my scribe, apparently. So she does a good job with note-taking. Uh, today's today's outline is is fairly simple and straightforward, so so you'll need uh, only to write down some of these main points in order to kind of make sense of of what we're going to look at tonight. Now, um, occasionally, it's good to take a, a passage and to look at it in a lot of detail and to sort of analyze all all the words and you know the. Uh, uh, get into the details of, of the people and the places and, and the events. And then other times, uh, you just kind of need to step back and uh, see, and sort of get the whole picture. And so tonight is going to be one of those step back and try to get the whole picture kind of nights because there's a, a large section that I would love to be able to, to cover in detail, uh, but, but we would be here um, a while. And, uh, and I know that's probably not for our benefit. So we're going to do our best just to step back and get a big, a big overview. So, um, you know, we've, what I kind of would compare it to would be um, a couple of times this summer, if you, and you don't have to go out of town to do this, I'm just, the couple of times I'm thinking of is, is we did this. So on both of the mission trips we took this summer, both to Washington, D.C. and uh, to Anchorage, Alaska, we had a time where uh, we, had, we had times during the week where we were down in the city, okay? We're down on the streets, and we're down at ground level, and we're working with people, and, and you're seeing, um, you know, parts of the city, and you're seeing people, and you're working in a specific location. But then we also had times where we sort of went up above the city, and you got a view where you could overlook everything, okay? You remember doing that on some of those trips? So like in Alaska, when we hiked all the way up to the... Um, flat top mountain, and you can kind of overlook and see the whole city, and, and because you've been there a few days, you can point out, you know, hey, there's where we're staying, and there's about uh, the road we came down, and there's, you know, the, the water, and there's uh, the park, you know, those kinds of things, and then in D.C. you can do it with the monuments and, and so forth. Well, tonight is one of those where we're going to 
try to climb to the top of the mountain and just point out, as we, as we sort of go through it quickly, some of these monuments that we see in these chapters, rather than be down on street level with Isaiah. Um, if we really wanted to back way up um, in Isaiah, or at least, at least zoom way out, maybe is a better way to say it, um, what would you say is the main theme, or at least a main theme, of what we've talked about so far in Isaiah? We're, we're a little more than halfway through the book now, and we're planning to try to get, get through it by Christmas. I think we can do it. Um, but what, what, what have been one or two main themes we've seen so far in Isaiah? Some of the same ones keep popping up again and again. Can you think of one? What did you say? Okay, God's grace, especially as it relates to His offer of salvation, right? God graciously offers to save people from their sins. Okay, very good. And, and the, really the other main theme is kind of the contrast of that, which would be God's, God's wrath, yeah, or God's judgment, God's punishment on sin. So if, if you were to zoom way out, and this is generally speaking, about the first... 35 or 39, depending on how you want to divide it, chapters of Isaiah are mostly about the wrath part. They're mostly about judgment. Now, obviously, God's grace is in there also to show how they contrast, but mostly it's about the judgment. But then when you get to chapter 40, what's the first word, or really here the first two words, if you're looking at an ESV like I am, uh, that show up in chapter 40? Not judgment, but comfort. So we're about to begin an extended section where God is aiming to comfort. And who does he offer comfort to? What does it say there? Comfort my my people. Yeah, says your God. And speak tenderly to Jerusalem. So we know that's the capital city in Israel where his people uh, primarily lived and had their king and were to honor him. So this section is mainly about comfort. So I want, I want tonight for us to, to be comforted by God. So we're going to look at, at six ways that God intends to comfort his people. So if you want a, uh, a title for this, for your outline that, that you can write down, six ways that God seeks to comfort his people. Something like that. And, and again, I just I, we really only have time for me to kind of point you to them. And then I hope you'll spend some time this week. Maybe you've kept up with the reading uh, each week. I hope you have. But if not, you've got uh, some holiday break time coming up where you can immerse yourself in these chapters and, and spend more time visiting those specific sites and get down on street level with Isaiah. So... Six ways that God seeks to, to comfort uh, His people. Number one is He comforts His people by speaking. He comforts His people by speaking. So just by, by talking to them. So we, we've already read these first couple of lines here, but it's, it's worth pointing out again. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. So He speaks comfort to them, and then He, he tells uh, Isaiah, Speak tenderly. To Jerusalem, so he's going to do this with his words, and cry to her, so speak loudly to her, and here's his main message, here's the main source of comfort, what does God say? Cry to her that her warfare is ended, and that her iniquity is pardoned, 
and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Those, those sins, though, are pardoned. What does pardoned mean? What is it? Forgotten. Yeah, they're, they're set aside. We're not going to deal with them. They're, 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 they're forgotten and forgiven. They're not going to have to deal with the consequences of their sin. And then, in verse 3 and in verse 6, you have uh, something else calling out. What do you have? A voice that's crying or a voice that says cry. And, uh, and so when these voices cry, look. and again, we're only going to kind of summarize it here, but look down at verse 5. This voice cries that the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. So God, again, intends to comfort His people by speaking to them and telling them that the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Now, God reveals His glory in a lot of different ways uh, in the Bible. Primarily, though, the, the clearest and, and best picture of the glory of God is in a person. It's in Jesus. So when God says, comfort my people, and, and, he, uh, and He's announcing that He intends to do that, it, it could cause you to think ahead to uh, shortly after the birth of Jesus. So in Luke chapter 2, uh, you read about this guy named Simeon. And he's an old man, and he's lived in the temple for uh, a while, and he's, he visits the temple regularly. And he, uh, it says that he was looking for the consolation of Israel. Well, consolation is another word for, you say you want to console somebody, you, you're trying to comfort them. Simeon was literally looking for the comfort that would come from Israel. And he found it in a baby who was a week old, Jesus, when he came to the temple. And then you read Luke chapter 3, and Luke chapter 3 quotes these three verses here, Isaiah 40, 3 through 5, about the voice that cries in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord and make it straight in, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Well, sure enough, in Luke 3, there's someone who comes on the scene uh, and is that voice in the wilderness, and he announces, prepare the way of the Lord. Do you remember who that is? John the Baptist. That's exactly right. And, and John tells them, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And he was, he was announcing that who was coming to them? Jesus was coming to them. So the voice says, cry. And then in verse 6, the other voice says cry, and here's what, here's what this voice announces. Uh, look down at verse 8 to see the summary of it there. That the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So Nicholas uh, read where this is quoted for us in First Peter 1. So the word of God is the... The word of God is the... The Scriptures, right? The Bible. Okay, so, so Peter is talking about this, this Word of God as it's written down, abides forever, but there's someone else who's called the Word of God, right? Jesus, the Word became flesh 
and took on a, a, a body. And so God means to comfort his people by speaking these things to them, by speaking through his word. And if we want to pay closest attention to how the Lord speaks to us today, what do we probably need to do? What would be an application for this? Probably want to give a lot of attention to the Bible so that we can, can read for ourselves these words of God uh, to hear and, and make sense of how God speaks. And then he tells this voice in verse 9, Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of what? Of good news. And lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. So go and preach good news. And, uh, and the, there at the end of verse 9, Lift it up, fear not, and say to the cities of Judah, and what's their message? Behold your God. So the good news that Jerusalem, the, the people of God, was, was to preach was this message. Behold your God. And to behold something means to? Yeah, see it and look at it. So they were going to be able to see God. And again, that would happen for them in the person of Jesus. And all this comes through messengers, through people speaking, through voices that cry, through heralds that preach. These come through words. Have you seen the, um, I think it's a Ford commercial. And there's, there's this guy um, doing the voiceover, and he's on the screen, and he says something, and, and they're, they're, um, they're showing these cars that Ford is making, and he says something like, the future doesn't come just through words, it comes through building things, is basically what he says. And, and his point is, uh, it's not good enough just to talk about what we want to happen, you know, we need people to produce it. Well, in some sense, that's probably true, especially when you're talking about building cars, right? However, is, is it right to say that words have no power at all? I don't think so, because Isaiah here is saying that the most important things in the world are these words that are spoken, this good news that is told. So, so I think the guy from Ford is probably wrong, and I think Isaiah is probably right, uh, that, that the future does come through the speaking of words. So that's the first source of comfort, through the, Lord's, uh, through the Lord's speaking to us, all right? Here's the second source of, uh, of comfort. This would be through the Lord's strength, all right? Through the Lord's strength. Um, look at verse 10, and you, and you catch a glimpse of this. So we're told to behold our God, and then verse 10, behold, the Lord God comes with might or, or power or strength, and his arm rules for him. His strong arm uh, rules for him. He has strength in his, in his arms. And this strength is displayed a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's just talked about how big the Lord is. So verse 12, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Uh, what do you suppose would be the hollow of your hand? Like your palm, probably like the middle of your palm, okay? So imagine what's being said here. Who has measured the waters, okay? How much water is on the earth? A whole bunch, right? Like most of the earth is covered in water. And where can the Lord measure all the waters of the earth? 
Apparently right here. That's how big our God is. Who has measured all the waters of the earth right here? And who has, the the question continues in verse 12, and marked off the heavens with a span. Okay, so that would be about as wide as your hand can stretch. So if you were standing before God and you were to ask Him, hey, how big are the waters? He would would point something like this. And how big are the heavens? And God could go about, about like this. And that's how big Isaiah says our God is. So strength in his, uh, just in his size and in, in what he does, in his, strength in his wisdom. So you look at the end of verse 14. Uh, who taught him? Well, let's just read all of verse 14. Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Who explained all this to the Lord? No one. No one needed to. He is strong and powerful in his, in his understanding. Look at verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop from the bucket. Okay? So this is where what we read in Numbers 24 uh, gives, us, gives us a connection. Um, Numbers 24, 7 says, Water shall flow from his buckets. Waters shall flow from his buckets. And now we read in Isaiah that the nations are like a drop of water from a bucket. All the nations on the earth, all the peoples of the earth, are like when you drop out a bucket of water and and you've only got a drop there. That's all the nations compared to God. They are not all that significant. God is significant in His strength. And so how, how can we compare God to anything else? Look at verse 18. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? Verse 19. A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. So some nations had gotten to the point where they're they're worshiping idols, and maybe they would try to compare their gods with the Lord God. And what does Isaiah say about those idols? How does an idol even come into existence? What? Okay, yeah, you point at it. That's, that's how you know it exists. But how does an idol become an idol? Somebody has to build it, right? Somebody has to fashion it and form it and put it together. And so, so Isaiah says here that a craftsman makes an idol, a goldsmith overlays it with gold... That idol that people would want to give a lot of attention to uh, is formed. Someone makes it. Someone puts it together. How can a, a, even a piece of gold that's fashioned into uh, an idol compare with the God who was not created and spoke everything else into existence? How can they compare? They can't. That's exactly right. And Israel themselves have been guilty of this, right? So you remember uh, in the wilderness... They, uh, Aaron is, gets tired of waiting on Moses, and Aaron says, um, you know, or, the, or the people rather say to Aaron, hey, make us gods. And Aaron says, okay, give me all your jewelry. So they collect all the gold, and they put it in the oven, and they build this calf, and they start to worship it instead of giving their allegiance to the God who had made them and 
delivered them. And, and so every, every comparison you try to make to this God falls woefully short. And so that is meant to comfort us because of his strength. And he passes that strength along to us. Most of you know verse 31 of, of chapter 40. That those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength and shall mount up with wings like eagles. Well, in order to have your strength renewed, it has to be done by someone else who is very strong. And the Lord is the one who renews our strength. That's number two. The third source of comfort is this. The Lord intends to comfort His people through His servant. Through His servant. Now, um, about six or seven times or so in, in uh, between chapters 40 and 48, you read about this, uh, this servant of God. So let's, let's look at some of these. We won't have time to examine all of them. But for example, go to chapter 41 and verse 8. <clears throat> chapter 41 and verse 8. Uh, who is called the servant of God in chapter 41 and verse 8? Israel, yeah, or Jacob. The offspring of Abraham is, is called my servant. And, and then verse 9, follow, right after that, uh, following it up, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. So the entire nation of Israel acts as a servant of God, right? That's what God says here in Isaiah uh, 41 and verse 8. Uh, but look ahead to chapter 42 and verse 1. Chapter 42 and verse 1. Here we read, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. So here it makes it sound like this servant is not only the entire nation, but also apparently it sounds like it's a specific individual person, right? Because it talks about he and him. And sure enough, these beginning verses in Isaiah 42 are quoted. If you go ahead into Matthew 12, you could read how Matthew 12 uh, quotes these verses in Isaiah and says that they are talking about, who would you guess? About Jesus. And so, so there's, there's a sense in which both of these things can be true. Can Israel be God's servant? Yes, apparently the entire nation can be God's servant, and they are. But it was there a greater servant to come that Israel was looking forward to? There was, and Jesus fulfilled that role perfectly. And so God means to comfort His people by, one, saying that they are His servant, they, are, they were there to serve Him, but also that a greater servant is coming one who would be completely faithful and com completely obedient all, all the time. And that servant would have specifically something with him. Look at, again at chapter 42 and verse 1. God says, I have put my 
spirit on him. So the fourth source of comfort that the Lord gives is through his spirit. The Lord means to comfort his people through his spirit. And you could read uh, a few different places. Let's see if we can try to find some of these. Um, let's go to chapter 44 and verse, and verse 1. Chapter 44, verse 1. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant. So here again, he's speaking to the servant Israel, the nation. Israel, whom I've chosen, in verse 2. So Isaiah 44, 2. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty ground, and streams on the dry ground, And I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. So there would be generations of God's people down the road who also would possess what? God's spirit. They would have him to themselves. And again, uh, you read in the New Testament, so, so Luke... Three, again, would be a good example of this. Um, Jesus comes on the scene. John has announced him. So you, so you see all these things in Isaiah uh, coming to pass. John announces, make a path in the wilderness for the one who's coming. And so Jesus, Jesus comes. And, uh, and Jesus goes into the water and is baptized. And as he's baptized, there's something that comes down from heaven. And what is it? It's a dove. And the dove represents the Holy Spirit. And so Luke is, is showing us that all these things that were promised in Isaiah are now coming about on the person, Jesus. And, 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 and so it is through Jesus that we have the Spirit of God. And that Spirit is proof that we have the salvation of God. So the fifth source of the Lord's comfort is the Lord's salvation. God means to comfort His people through His salvation. Now, there's, there's a great deal that could be said about this, um, but I'll try to show you just one specific example. So go to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. And, and we will start in verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. All right? Uh, We've talked about redemption in here before. Redemption is is this idea of being purchased, of being paid for. And, And so God says to Israel, to His people, I have purchased you. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. And look at verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. Now, had this been true for God's people before? Has there been a time when God's people had walked through the waters and not been overwhelmed? 
At the Red Sea. That's exactly right. And so Israel could think back to its history and say, hey, that has been true for us. We have walked through the waters and not been overwhelmed. And that was meant to be a picture of the way God had redeemed them from Egypt. And then look, look, at verse, um, look down at verse 6. So Isaiah 43, 6. So even though, um, even though God's people were going to be exiled, even though they were going to be spread across to the other nations, look at what God says in Isaiah 43, 6. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. In other words, Israel, you're going to be scattered north and south. You're going to be all over the map. But I'm going to tell the north to give you back to me. And the south is not going to be able to hold on to you. So, that verse continues, verse 6. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone whom I, who is called by my name, whom I created. Why? For my glory, whom I formed, whom I formed and made. Now, this is, this is the answer to all the riddles, so to speak. People want to ask big questions like, why am I on the earth? Why do I exist? What's the purpose of life? Here's your answer, Isaiah 43, 7. You were created, you and I were created, why? For God's glory. That's why you and I exist. That's why we were created. For God's glory. To glorify God with our lives. To, to see the salvation of God. To know that He has redeemed us. And that we are His. We were made by Him, and He has redeemed us for Himself. So, so the main message of, of this whole section of Isaiah, and the main message that we would want to tell you about Christianity, is, is that God has made all things for His glory. God created nature, God created animals, God created nations, God created planets, and God created people all for His glory. But it was the people who bore God's image who tainted that glory. Who, Even though they were made in God's image, they said, I don't want to live for God, I want to, I want to live for myself. I want to exalt myself instead of God. And so all of humanity has, has been in this state of rebellion since the Garden of Eden. And you and I are not on our own right before God. We don't live for God's glory, we naturally live for our own glory. But God made a way for you and I to be redeemed. Not through the waters of Egypt, but through the cross of Jesus. You and I don't have to be absorbed, or don't have to absorb God's wrath because Jesus did it for us. Jesus lived perfectly obedient in a way that you and I could not. And He died in our place. And He rose again so that you and I can simply respond to God by, by trusting in what Christ has done for us. That's what Isaiah means when he says, you have been created for God's glory. It means to turn away from seeking your own glory and to turn and trust in the glory of God that he has made known through his son who lived and died for us. There's one final way that God primarily comforts his people that I think is made clear here in these chapters in Isaiah and that would be that we are comforted through the Lord's supremacy. His supremacy. The fact that He is supreme. That He, uh, you could say, is, is sovereign. He is the highest 
ranking thing on the earth. And I'll just have to summarize this because we're, we're out of time. But um, I will, I'll point it out to you in um, chapter 45 and verse 1. All right, Isaiah 45 and verse 1. The Lord says, or thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus. Cyrus is significant here. The Lord is going to speak to a Persian king named Cyrus. Now here's what's remarkable about, about uh, him mentioning Cyrus here, is, is that this was written over a hundred years before Cyrus became king of Persia. So God is naming someone from a nation who at this time wasn't even all that powerful. Babylon was powerful. But God is, is promising, if you read through these chapters, he's going to raise up a king. And that king's name is going to be Cyrus. And Cyrus is going to rule over Persia. And Persia is going to overthrow Babylon. And Babylon, who had taken Israel into captivity, was going to be forced to give up Israel's exiles. Okay, Cyrus would be the one to tell Israel, you can go back home. God says, I'm anointing Cyrus uh, to subdue nations before him and, and to open the door so that you can go home. So God is supreme over not just Israel, but also Babylon and Persia and all nations that have ever existed. God is supreme over all of them. The nations literally are like a drop in the bucket for God. He does with them what he wants. So, I don't know what it is that you tend to find the most comfort in. Uh, you and I tend, tend to find comfort in a, in a lot of different things. Uh, maybe it's money. Maybe it's a certain social status. Maybe it's success in various um, events or classes. Uh, maybe it's, it's belonging to the right kind of family. Maybe that is comforting for us. Um, we tend to find comfort in, in other people, so in other relationships. Uh, maybe, maybe just being here is somehow a comfort for you, and maybe not even for the right reasons. But God means to comfort His people primarily through Himself. We need for the Lord to be our primary source of comfort, because there's going to come a time when all these other things that we seek comfort in aren't going to be around and so if we, if we base our comfort in them, uh, we will be disappointed. And the Lord is the only one whose comfort really lasts. His word really lasts. It endures forever. He really is stronger than all the nations on the earth. He really has sent a servant and given a spirit to us and has saved his people. And he's shown himself that he controls all the workings of all the nations. You know the main way that the Lord uh, shows that He is supreme over nations and over idols in this section in Isaiah? We didn't even touch on it. It's by the way He predicts the future. Okay? Is, is, there, is there anything that you and I can know for certain about the future? Only that the Lord has it all in control, right? I mean, we know nothing there are things today that have happened, whether you realize it or not, that you would not have expected to happen. 
And it'll be the same way tomorrow. And it'll be the same way the day after that. You and I never know what's coming, but the Lord not only knows it, He accomplishes everything that He intends to accomplish. So let's base our comfort in Him and not ourselves. All right, let's pray. Lord, there's so much in this section of Scripture. Your Word is so full. It is so rich. We... uh, Again, I, I compare it just to like standing on the mountain and being stunned at, at the scenery um, because to read these chapters is to just step back and get a glimpse of how great and big and strong and wise and powerful and gracious and loving and kind you are. And Lord, we are foolish to put our trust or our hopes in other things. Not only are we foolish to do so, but but it is deadly to do so. We put our souls at great risk when we do that. So Lord, I pray you'll help us. Even as we talk now in small groups and try to, to figure out how to apply some of these things to where we're at personally, uh, maybe maybe the, the simple application is just to to be amazed at you and just to love you and just to see and be reminded of your greatness. Whatever the case is, Lord, we pray you'll bring it about. I pray you'll make very clear to us um, more of what you are like um, and, and especially how you have revealed yourself in Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.